And uh, Brother Chuck and Marinelle Hall are over uh, World Indigenous uh, Missions, Missionaries or Missions. I forget the last one. I get confused. Missions. And it's WIM. That's what I call it, WIM. Just make it easy. And uh, so he's traveled all over the world. And what they are really now is beginning a transition. I'm going to let him talk about it. They're beginning a transition to just really basically be a pastor and be an overseer to the missionaries that are overseas. And so there's, an, there's, a, there's that apostolic anointing. There's a fatherly anointing in that. And so he's one of the men that speak into our life and in the life of this church. So I want you to stand with me. I want you to give a warm New Covenant family welcome to Brother Chuck Hall. Thanks, sir. I'm not Chuck. Sometimes we get confused on the phone because my voice is real low. And um, people say yes, sir, to me when they call us on the phone. And when Chuck answers, they say yes, ma'am, to him. Sometimes he has to say, I'm a man. <coughs> I was listening to Lawrence talk about the, how, how long we've been associated with this church. We've been coming here for a long, long time. I can't remember if it started in the 70s or 80s if it was uh, the late 70s or early 80s. But we came, Chuck and I came, to a meeting here in Tifton. A um, small group of men and women met, and they were talking about starting a church in Tifton, Georgia, uh, New Covenant Church. And we were there in that meeting, prayed with those people, and this is the result of that. And uh, we bless you. In the name of Jesus, I wanted to share a testimony with you that I heard this week. Chuck and I have five children. We have um, um, five, three sons and three sons-in-law, and two daughters-in-law, and we have fourteen grandchildren. Our fourteenth was born uh, in the last two months, and we're looking forward to meeting him in October in North Georgia. But uh, my daughter is a great blessing to me, and just recently in her life, in the last year, she has begun to really seek the Lord in prayer. She lives in Colorado Springs, and she goes to a class that is a class on praying for miracles. And uh, they go to New Life Church there, and it is a mega church. It looks more like a stadium than a church. And there are great sections all around the auditorium. And lately, the pastor's been asking them, please sit in the same section every Sunday and get to know the people in that section so that it would feel more like a small church, kind of like your connect groups. You want to connect on a, on a smaller level so that you get to know everybody. So that's what they've been doing. And the pastor has been encouraging, encouraging them Get to know somebody you haven't met before. So she introduced herself. She and her husband introduced themselves to this couple that they had not talked to before. Began to talk to them. And the man just wouldn't respond much. And, and my Jessica said, Mama, I was about to say, well, he doesn't want to talk to me. I'm just going to go on somewhere else. But she said something in me said, persist. And she kept talking to him. And finally, he opened up and he said, um, I have hesitated to talk today because I've recently had surgery and um, I had a tracheotomy and my throat hurts a little bit. He said, but I want to tell you a story about my wife and me, about, about my life. He said, um, some years ago, my, my wife and I both, he said, are nurses. And some years ago, I can't remember if she said he had an accident or if he had a sickness, but he said, I died. And he said, when I say I died, I died. All life indications had stopped and he was dead. And he was dead for 35 minutes. And he went to heaven. And he got to heaven and immediately saw his family. And his family did not look old as, the, as he had known them, some of, uh, some of the older members of his family. They did not look old. They were in their prime of life. And he said, I went and talked with them. 
And it was so good to see them, and they welcomed me, and it was so wonderful in heaven. And he said, the, the biggest shock to me and the biggest surprise was that I had had a friend, a very, very dear friend, who had committed suicide. He said, there was no indication to me that this friend knew Jesus Christ. And he said, I was just resigned to the fact that my friend was in hell. And it was very grievous to me. And this friend killed himself. And he said, when I got to heaven, there was my friend who had committed suicide. And Jessica was just thrilled. I was thrilled because I have a, uh, had a dear uncle, my daddy's youngest brother, who committed suicide. And um, I believe he's in heaven with Jesus. But Jessica said, oh, you have got to write this down. And he said, I don't want to write it down because I don't want to encourage anybody who's thinking about suicide to, um, to go ahead and do it. I don't want to encourage them that they might go to heaven. And Jessica said, no, this will give great comfort to people who have had loved ones who've committed suicide to know that he is in heaven, that Jesus in his compassion, took him to heaven. That maybe he, at the last moments of his life, cried out to the Lord and said, it's just too much for me. Life is too much. I can't handle it. Um, I'm taking my life. And, and God, in his mercy, heard him and heard that cry. And, and she was encouraging him, write this down. And she said, I want to ask you, was there anything about heaven that really, really surprised you or overwhelmed you or shocked you or impressed you. And he said, yes, I want to tell you, I never, ever knew how wonderful, kind and compassionate and gentle and loving God was. Until I got to heaven and got in his presence that we were singing about today. We're lovers of his presence. He said, I came into the presence of God and I was just overwhelmed at the kindness, the compassion, and the love, gentleness, and kindness of God. You know, that's what the Bible says about him. I don't know about any of you, but I have spent much of my life being condemned because I just have felt I could never get good enough to deserve that kindness of God. Now I know nobody does, but because of the love of Jesus Christ for us, we don't need to spend another second in self-condemnation. We need to understand Jesus Christ is everything that we feel that we can't be, that we want to be. He is that. And he has invited us to partake of that with him. That has blessed me so, that testimony of heaven. And then the man said, I was in heaven and I was enjoying it so very much. And everybody up there said, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're so thankful you're here. And he said, but I heard this faint voice calling Daddy, come back to me. Daddy, come back. And he said, I told those people in heaven, I can't stay here. My son needs me. And he said, I've got to go back. And they said, that's okay. And he said, I saw myself come back to, to earth. I came back into the atmosphere, I came back into the hospital, and I came back into the hospital room, hovered over my body, and then I came back into my body. He said, but I will, my life will never be the same because of that revelation to me of the love and the kindness, the goodness and the compassion of God that I felt in heaven. Can't wait to get there again. Amen. God bless you all. We pray that you will not ever live another moment in any kind of condemnation, but will live in the glow in your life of the love of God for you.
Amen. Amen. You know, the devil is a liar, and he's always lying to us about what God is really like. He never tells you God is full of loving kindness and tender mercy. He never tells you that God is compassionate, forgiving, and kind. He always tells you that he's a stern taskmaster. And you have no right to be forgiven. Why did you do that? You know better than that. He's always lying about the Lord. God is so good to us, isn't he? God is so good to us. Just because of what Mariel shared, I want to share this verse with you, then I, I will sh uh, share some other things about our transition. But talking about the compassion of God, let's look at Matthew 9. Matthew 9 is a wonderful chapter, as is Matthew 8. But in Matthew 9, we see the compassion of God. We see the compassion of the one that you love and the one that loves you. Uh, we begin that with uh, seeing Jesus heal a man who was paralyzed. And uh, he, he was lying on a mat, couldn't walk, couldn't move. And Jesus healed him. Continue on. And to verse 18, we see a woman who was healed from an issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. And in his compassion, Jesus healed her. And then from there, he went and raised another woman from the dead. After that, we see two blind men, blind men, healed. They said, David, they said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Then as we near the end of the chapter, we see that he healed a mute. This mute man spoke. He healed him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the religious people says, he's doing all this by, the, by Beelzebub. He's doing all this by the spirit of the devil. That's how he's doing this. You know, that's blasphemy. When you say, accuse the Holy Spirit of doing the work of the devil. When you call the Holy Spirit the, the spirit of the devil, said the Pharisee said he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then in verse 35, that after doing all of this, it said, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Wouldn't you like to have heard that? Preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Out of love to sat under his ministry and heard him preach the gospel of the kingdom. You know, there, there is a day when thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is going to be an age, a time in which the will of God is done here just as powerfully and closely and perfectly as it's done in heaven. There's a time when we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. You're, you're going to live on a new earth. This earth is going to be changed. It may pass away, be burned. But there will be a new earth. And I really believe it's going to be very, very much like this earth, but without sin. And it's going to be beautiful. And you're going to have things to do. You're going to have purpose. You're going to have things to accomplish. We have a... Marinelle has a cartoon on our refrigerator that she likes. 
And it's this guy sitting on a cloud. You know, we know he's in heaven because he's sitting on a cloud. And he said, if I thought it, if I knew it was going to be like this, I would have brought a magazine. He was bored, in other words. <laughs> That's not how it's going to be. Glory to God. That's not how it's going to be. The gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus preached. And he went about healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. When Jesus sees you, he is moved with compassion. When he sees the situation that you're in, and he sees the problems that you're encountering, when he, when he sees your pain and heartache, Jesus, the scriptures tell us, is moved with compassion for you. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. You ever been weary? And scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I was so encouraged by Pastor Lawrence sharing with me that, uh, that you all have been talking and learning more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you've been learning more about the things of the Spirit. And, and I, I'm sure in the weeks that come, uh, uh, he'll be teaching more on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so important to us as Christians. Because, because of the Holy Spirit, we're able to worship him in spirit and in truth, as we were talking about today our worship is no longer a religious activity. It's from the heart, from the spirit. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. Today, we were worshiping him in spirit and in truth. That wasn't religious worship. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into that. But we worship God in spirit and truth. Oh, how I want to worship him more in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit is so, so important. And I want you to embrace the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Embrace the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit as you learn more and more about those. Because God has given each one of us gifts and he wants us to use these gifts really like tools to do his will. See, God has a purpose for you. And he has work. He's created things for you to do. Before the foundations of the world were ever laid, Romans 8, uh, no, Ephesians 4, I think it is, says that he created works for you. And we can only do those works unless we're in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so important that Jesus, when he breathed on the disciples in the Gospel of John, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he breathed on them. And it said, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Jesus breathed on you, you were born again and you received the Holy Spirit. But then he said to those, those disciples there, he said, but wait in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. 
wait into Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Father. And the gift of the Father is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you out. He said, but wait before you go. You need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost is what he was saying. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is so important. So in this passage here, we see the compassion of God. We see the compassion of Jesus. If you read the whole chapter, you see what Jesus, how he feels about sickness and disease. You see what he feels about people. And then he says, pray ye. The Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers in his harvest. Just as a side note, speaking of the Holy Spirit, I really believe that the Holy Spirit is the Lord of the harvest. The reason I say that is Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Amen? And he had sent me, Jesus says. So the Spirit of the Lord anoints and sends. And then when uh, Peter started to go and see Cornelius, it says the Spirit sent him to the house of Cornelius. And when Paul started to, well, when Philip started to go and preach to the unit, it said the Spirit sent him or transported him to preach the gospel to the eunuch out in the desert, if you remember that story. And then when Paul was in Antioch, he and Barnabas, the, the whole church and the elders was fasting and praying, and, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have called them. Then as we follow Paul on, we see that the Spirit would not allow him to go into certain areas. And then again, the Spirit would say, go into this area. The Lord of the harvest, the Spirit of the living God. But anyway, hallelujah. So I'm so glad to hear that y'all are talking about the Holy Spirit. So glad, so glad. If I may, let me just give you a quick update on what Marinelle and I, some good things are happening in our life. Some good changes are coming about with us in World Indigenous Missions. Uh, we've been missionaries since 1983. And we spent uh, about seven years living in Mexico before we had to come home and care for my dad. We raised our children in Mexico. And so we've been in missions since 1983. Well, in 1996, uh, the board of directors, like the elders of the church, they uh, asked me to uh, be the president of World Indigenous Missions. And so I have been president of WIM for about 19 years. And this August from now uh, will be 20. Well, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. Lord, how long do you want us to serve as president? We know that the call to missions is on our life for a lifetime, we feel like, you know. But how long do you want us to serve in the office as president? And I, I've been praying, and Mary has been praying for seven to ten years, Lord, Lord, what do you want? We don't want to quit a step out of that position too soon, but we don't want to hold on to it too, late, uh, too long either. And so we really feel that the Lord has spoken to us about a year, year and a half ago to ask this man that I have been working with very closely on a daily basis for about seven years, Chris Browles, he's our director of operations, asking him to come and, and I've asked him, along with the board of directors, we've asked him, would you serve as president beginning in August of 2016? And in that, at that time, We'll, we'll step aside into a new position. 
Basically, we'll be doing what we're doing now, traveling and ministering to the missionaries and teaching them and working with them and trying to recruit new missionaries, speaking in churches, traveling overseas. But we just won't have the uh, daily administrative responsibilities that a president has. So we're, we're excited about that. We're, we're happy uh, uh, to see what God is doing, and we're very, very thankful. We believe we have many good years ahead in the ministry, in the ministry. So we thank God for what he's doing. Hallelujah. Yes, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. That's what Jesus tells us. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. I understand that Morris and Sarah uh, will be going down uh, south of Guadalajara in the next few months, possibly. And uh, they'll be working with uh, just some good friends of ours, Charlie and Sharon Steffler, who, is, is, who are some of our best missionaries. Charlie and Sharon have a real burden for unreached people groups. And they're indigenous peoples. Some would call them Indians, but they're indigenous. They're of Mexico. They were the original inhabitants of Mexico. And they're different tribes of indigenous peoples. And Charlie and Sharon have a real burden for the Purépecha tribe are the Purépecha people group. This is an indigenous group. But the Purépecha people are a fiercely independent people. Just for an example, you all heard all about the drug cartel, I assume. How terrible the drug cartel is in Mexico. They, they've infiltrated almost every level of society, government, uh, employment, and so forth in Mexico. And the drug cartel is very active down in the area that Morris and Sarah are going to. So you need to pray for them. Morris and I have already been there, haven't we, Morris? But <clears throat> just to show you how these, the, these indigenous people are, this Purépecha are, the, uh, everybody's afraid of the drug cartel in Mexico. They're so terrible, murderous people. And, well, they came into some of the towns uh, of the Purépecha, and, and like they have done in many, many other towns in Mexico, they said, you give us so many pesos per month, so many dollars per month, We'll make sure everything goes well for you and, and, and no one will harm you. Okay? Kind of like the mafia did back in, probably still does, but years ago. And the Purépecha said, no. And they armed themselves with automatic weapons. They established bunkers and gates, you might say, going into their villages and, and leaving their villages. When Marinelle and I were down there just a few months ago, as you would drive into a village, I call them villages, they're small towns. As you drive into this small town, uh, you have to drive past these men with masks on and automatic weapons. And they're these indigenous people who are making sure the cartel does not come in. Well, that same independence that, that is preventing the cartel from coming in and taking over their village, that same independent spirit and independence also says preachers and missionaries are not to come in and preach the gospel in our town. Because we don't want anybody changing our religion. 
These are the people that Charlie and Sharon Steffler have been called to. Other preachers, other uh, missionaries have gone in, mostly Mexicans, who've gone into some of these villages. They have been persecuted, they have been threatened, they have been beaten, and they have been thrown out of town. So about six years ago, when Charlie and Sharon felt led to go into to these communities, they knew that they needed to do something. They knew that they couldn't go in and preaching the gospel and holding big evangelistic crusades. Okay? Because what would have happened? So they, they started going in loving the people, encouraging the people. They brought in medical clinics. They brought in veterinarians to help uh, take care of the livestock, the cows and the horses. They uh, painted buildings, brought in teams who would paint buildings and, and repair houses. And they taught computer skills. They taught English as a second language. They did all these different things to, to develop relationships with the people. To develop a relationship with the people. Well, in the middle of all that, when that was going on, there was a city or a town by the name of Angawan. Now, Angawan had no church. And Angawan did not want Christians coming in preaching the gospel. That's when Mark Morris Gurr and I went with another group of missionaries on a prayer walk. Knowing what we were up against, we decided that a, a, a group of well missionaries would go into that area among the Purepecha and especially Angawan and we would walk and pray over the city. You know, Paul said, we speak, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and, and principalities and spiritual forces of darkness. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the devil and his demons. So we knew we were going to have to go in and by God's grace begin to tear down some of these strongholds. Stand against these evil powers. Church, church, we have got to stand against the devil that comes against our families and against our children with sickness and disease and rebellion and debt. All these bad things that happen. It's the devil who has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy God's not doing that. So we've got to rise up full of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm so happy that you're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And coming against these powers that are attacking your family. That are trying to destroy you and your family. We have, we have some things happening in our family that we're asking for miracles. We've already seen uh, miracles of healing in our family. But we need more. We need more and we want to see more. But it, it's spiritual warfare that we're in. And so that's what we did in, in, in Gawain. We began to pray. And it's just so interesting that uh, I hardly ever get sick when I travel, Morris. But uh, of the about 14 people there, I think about 12 or 13 hours were the sickest. I, I don't know when I've been that sick. Vomiting, diarrhea, nausea, so forth. Welcome to Mexico, right, my brother? But... Uh, Anyway, that's what we were doing, and we were laying the groundwork for, for the gospel to come to Angawan. 
So Charlie and Sharon, they moved into Angawan. They built a cabin, a nice little cabin, moved into Angawan, continued to love on the people, continued to encourage the people, kind of undercover, not letting them know they were Christians. But if they developed relationships with the people, they would share Jesus. And the people might ask them, what's so different about you? And they would share the love of Jesus. And they began to pray for the people. And God would answer their prayers. And people would, would be healed. And they saw the reality of the Lord. But when they started doing that, the townsfolk and the leadership of the town realized that these two Americans who were living in their midst were actually Christians. And they rose up and wanted these evangelicals to be thrown out. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And they're they're preaching. And so this went on for several months, these threats and, and all that was going. And part of the town was for, for the Stefflers. Part of the town was against them. In fact, most of the town was against them. So they voted, and overwhelmingly, the vote was to throw these Americans out. Charlie and Sharon had to leave and weren't able to go back into that town I want to think for a year or a number, number of months. But what had happened was they left about two families with seeds of the gospel. They left about two families that, had, that Jesus had breathed on them. And they had received the Holy Spirit. And these two families began to talk with their relatives about the Lord. And they began to talk to their neighbors about the Lord. And yes, others rose up and threatened them and told them they need to be quiet. We'll run you out of town too, just like we did the Stefflers. But they weren't intimidated because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And they continued to tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. And then one by one, people were born again. Were born again. Were born again. Then this past spring, they asked Marinelle and me to come along with Charlie and Sharon and to anoint their elders and pray over their elders because they now had people in, in the church who could lead them. They didn't need Americans. And when we went there in May, we saw this, this big slab of cement with some concrete walls with no roof. It had some of that blue plastic over for a roof, partially. And we stood there. And we learned that this location where they were meeting had once been a pig pen. Hogs and sows and pigs. And, but now they had cleaned it up and poured a concrete foundation. And Marinelle said, it used to be a pig pen. Now it's a sheep fold. a sheepfold and we when we went there Marinelle led the worship and the Holy Spirit just came in such you know sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes you just get chill bones and the Holy Spirit just came oh and we were worshiping God and what I was reminded of was the persecution that these precious people had gone through. Yet they stood, they stood and said no. And we prayed over the leaders and, uh, and anointed them and, 
set them in as elders there in the church. And it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's an indigenous church. Our organization is World Indigenous Missions. So what we do is we hope to raise up indigenous leaders and indigenous churches. And when you think of indigenous, a good definition of that is that it's native to that particular area. I haven't done any research on this, but I, I assume, possibly, that, for example, pine trees are indigenous to this area. See? And live oak trees are indigenous, whereas palm trees are not indigenous to this area. They, they might be indigenous to South Florida or Southern California. Polar bears are not indigenous. They're indigenous to the Arctic regions. So anyway, so an indigenous church is one who can govern itself. It has its own pastors and leaders. It provides its own money. It doesn't take money from the United States. And it evangelizes their own neighbors. <clears throat> and the reason we establish indigenous churches is so we can establish these churches, bless them and encourage them, walk away and go to another area and establish another church. But some, some, you know, want to always hang around, always pastor this group of people, always do this, always do that, and the people are never able to rise up and, and, and be the church because the U.S. missionaries want to do it all for them. But we, that's not our philosophy of ministry. Ours is an indigenous ministry. So we're so encouraged by what God is doing there and, and thank God for, for all he's doing. And I'm so happy that Morris and Sarah are going uh, to probably Angawan, but certainly in the area of the Purepecha going there. And so we're, we're just encouraged by what God is doing, what God is doing all over the world. We were, Marydale and I were in the Philippines earlier this year, and we spoke at, a, at a, uh, an Asian conference, a small conference of Asian missionaries, mostly from Thailand and the Philippines. About 15 years ago, WIM started another mission organization that, that trains third world missionaries, missionaries from uh, Philippines, uh, from uh, Peru, from Thailand, and trains these people and sends them out into Southeast Asia to preach the gospel. And so we were ministering to them, and it was so good to hear their testimonies and hear what God was doing in their life. Uh, these are people who, who are under great attack because they're going to, to areas of the world and working with certain people groups that never even heard of Jesus much less have a church. They've never even heard of Jesus. And so they come under great attack and uh, much discouragement. Missionaries become discouraged many times. They become lonely because they miss their family and friends. And so it was so good to go and minister and love on these these. Uh, Asian missionaries. Uh, after the conference, one of the missionaries said to me, I was very discouraged and about to quit the ministry, but you have encouraged me, and I feel the fire of the Holy Spirit once again. Another one who was about to quit said, it's so important for you, Chuck, as a missionary to speak to us. Because I felt like you were reading my mind and knew exactly what I was going through as a missionary. He said, now, after you and Marinelle have been here, we're ready to continue on. The ministry can be a very discouraging position. Encourage your pastor and his wife. Encourage them. Don't discourage them. Support them. Help them. 
Be a friend to them. Laugh at his jokes. <laughs> Do whatever you can to help him. Pray for him. Amen. Laugh at his jokes. Laugh at his jokes. That's right. So we're, we're so blessed and so encouraged. And uh, we're very, 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 very thankful. Very, very thankful. What's that? Love on him. That's, that's what they both need. Is the love of Jesus flowing through you. The love of Jesus flowing through you. Yes. One other story, and, I, I, and, and we'll, I'll let you go. Let me tell you one little quick story. One of my great heroes is Ilona. She's a medical doctor who, who is Indonesian, of Chinese descent, lives in Indonesia, and she has spent much of her life reaching out to young children, uh, providing medical care for them, but especially teaching them the scriptures and teaching them Bible stories. They're in Indonesia. You probably know Indonesia is, is made up of tens of thousands of islands. It's an island nation in, I think, Pacific. If not Indian Ocean, Pacific. And <clears throat> tens of thousands of islands, and it's the highest populated, it has the highest Muslim population of any country in the world. Indonesia had more Muslims than any other country. And she has come under a lot of attack and persecution over the years. There have been times when they've tried to burn her house down and God in his mercy delivered her from mobs who were going to burn her house down. One, on one particular occasion when they were about to burn her house down, the army intervened because many people were praying. But a few days after that, the leader of this particular Muslim mob that was coming against her appeared to, at her door one night, knocked on her door and, and said, May I come in? Now, how do you think she might have felt? She said, Okay. He came in because she knew who he was. And he said to her, this man in white has appeared to me in a vision. And he told me to come and speak to you and you would explain to me who he is. <laughs> Amen. And, and you hear stories like that, don't you? That, that God is appearing, Jesus is appearing to Muslims, and many, 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 many are being saved. We hear all about the radicalization of Islam, but there are a group of Muslims who are coming to Jesus and loving Jesus and listening to Marilyn Hickey. <laughs> Marilyn Hickey uh, the other day was ministering to, to Muslims and telling them about Jesus. But anyway, with Ilona, such a wonderful, wonderful person. She, she's really come under some attack recently because some people from Somalia uh, have moved into her neighborhood and uh, many of them are ISIS, are part of ISIS. And uh, she says they even have an office near her house. ISIS does. And on the way to the uh, airport, she says, uh, you see ISIS flags flying in different areas. So these are people who are living in uh, some dangerous situations, so we want to pray for them. And, uh, but she's continuing to reach out to the Muslim children, and, and they're being saved, and then their parents are coming in. What wonderful people uh, she is and others that we have known. I wish I could tell you more stories but God is moving in this world. He's doing great and wonderful things, and he's using people like you and me. 
Jesus said, the laborer, great is the harvest, it's plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he's using people and he's calling people. The Holy Spirit's calling missionaries. He's calling people to go into missions out of just like you and me. Some of our women missionaries in, in the past, they've been electricians, they've been painters, they've been carpenters, they've been engineers, they've been doctors, they've been pharmacists, they've been dairy farmers, they've been convicts. He calls saints and sinners. My dear friend who's been, who's planted many churches uh, in South Mexico, among the rebels, there was a great uprising of, of, of rebels uh, some years ago, and he worked in those areas and planted churches among them. And just a man of God, and some people were visiting him from the States, and they asked him, they said, Now, David, what did you do before you became a missionary? He said, well, I was a thief. You were a what? He said, I would sneak into houses late at night after people went to bed and I'd rob them. He said, they call me the baby-faced burglar. <laughs> he said, but I always prayed that they wouldn't wake up while I was robbing them. He was, a man, he was a man of prayer. <laughs> but God calls saints and sinners. He calls everybody. He calls all of us to be involved in missions, to be involved in Him. You know, if you can't go and if God's not calling you to go, you can be involved. You can still pray for those missionaries. You can still help finance and support them. You can encourage them. God wants you to be involved in the Great Commission, to go make disciples. And some of the greatest churches are mission-minded churches. We never want to lose our vision to reach out and to go. And if God is not calling you to be a missionary, relax. Don't worry about it. You know, some people are so afraid God's going to call them to Africa. <laughs> and and uh, one time I got a, I spoke at a, at a missions conference one time, and, and, and I, I was going to be the speaker there, right? But right before I spoke, they did this skit with this song, and the whole skit and song was about, please don't send me to Africa. But relax. If you don't have a desire to go, God is probably not calling you. Amen? Because he'll put that desire in you. Now, what you've got to worry about is if every time a missionary comes and starts speaking, something inside of you says, yes, 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 let me go, let me go. God's probably calling you. So, hallelujah. Amen. But let's all be involved. And we just thank God for what he's doing. We thank, we thank God for you, for your encouragement to us, and for your support of our ministry all these many years. We just bless you in Jesus' name. And we thank God for you. Uh, let's stand. I want to pray, then I'll turn it over to the pastor. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. Lord, I bless this church in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that a great hunger will be upon each heart where they'll hunger to know the Holy Spirit. They'll hunger to walk in the things of the Lord. Lord, I pray that in the coming weeks that that more and more will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and more and more receive the gifts 
of the Holy Spirit and begin to work and walk in them. Lord, I pray for those in need, for those physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you will meet their need. You will meet their every need. I pray you'll bless them today. Give them rest today, for this is the Lord's day. And we thank you, dear Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Somebody asked me when we were in, uh, when I was in seminary, and one of the greatest statements I ever heard was uh, Pastor Hagen, who was Dad Hagen's who is Dad Hagen's son, who's the pastor and the overseer of the ministry. And he taught a class called uh, uh, The Ministry Gifts. And he said, if you can see yourself doing anything else other than ministry, you're probably not called to the ministry. And I, this is how I knew I was called to the ministry. I knew I was called to the ministry because I went there. But when he said that, I literally, I don't remember anything else he said the rest of the time. And it was about a 50-minute class. I don't remember anything else he said the rest of the time because I sat there and said, okay, if I could see myself doing anything else, what would I do? Okay. Well, I'd, be, I'd love to be a jet pilot. Uh, it'd be cool. It's like, nah, I don't want to do that. And I began to go down this list of everything that I, that I could see. And I tried to see myself doing that, and there was nothing there. Well, I think missionaries the same way. Missionaries are nothing. Actually, the word missionary is sent one. It's the same word in the Greek as apostle. Missionaries are really apostolic in nature. So you're sitting there and you're listening to him talk. And you're like, yes, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. And your brain and your flesh. Remember the three people? Your flesh is like, listen, just calm down. Well, now ain't nobody going to Africa. There ain't nobody going to India. You know, Hawaii needs missionaries too. Sign me up, Lord. I'm ready. What I'm saying is, if there's something that stirs on the inside of you, and there's a difference. How do you know, Pastor? How do you know? How did you know? Because I went year after year after year after year after year, and every morning you wake up and that thing is right there. Never goes away. Year after year after year, there's something inside of you for this country. There's something inside of you for India. When the Lord said you, your feet would walk in India. There was, some, there was something in you <laughs> that said Africa. There was something. Doesn't mean you're supposed to live there. Doesn't mean you're supposed to move there. But there was something. Maybe you're called to pray for that nation. Maybe you're called to pray for that missionary. Maybe you're called to be a part of a ministry that is sent. You know, every we are a mission-minded church. We are. I endeavor to bring at least four, five, or six missionaries every year into the church so that you and I will be exposed to the outside influences of Tifton, Georgia. There are other places besides Tifton, Georgia. It's my heart's desire. It is the desire and the heart of the elder and the leadership of this church for every time somebody goes somewhere on a mission trip, take a couple of people with you. Mission, my Jesus said, go into all the world. And so, but it doesn't mean that you've got to go there. When he talks about missions, when he talks about these other countries, you know what goes off inside of me? Glory to God, Lord, I want to write a check. That's what I want to do. I don't want to go. I don't want to. I'm not saying that I'm not called to the mission field, but I know what I'm doing is, but there's something inside of me that wants to help people go. Something inside of me that wants to pull that out and say, get, 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 get. But inside of you, it may be something different. So I'm going to say this. If that is something that is stirring up inside of you, if that is something, you know, you don't even understand it. We're going to close, we're going to pray, and we're going to dismiss. Ain't nobody going to see you coming over here talking to Brother Chuck. (laughs) 
Nobody's going to think anything about it because you don't know this. There's a spying out. There's a there's a praying through. There's a you've got to you've got to talk that thing out. And so I'm going to say this: if that's something that you're interested in or you just don't know, but every time somebody comes and talks about missions, it stirs you up. Come talk to him. Come talk to us. Call the church. Set an appointment. We'll talk. We'll pray. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for what was done. Father, we thank you for the word that was given. Lord, we bless Brother Chuck. We declare over him and Miss Mary now safe travels and the endowment of power in their life that as they go and minister to the, to the missionaries overseas that they would bring that encouragement, that they would bring that power with them and an impartation would take place just like it's taking place this morning. Lord, I pray that you stir up the missionary gift. Stir up the apostolic sent one gift that we may have that desire and that burning rhythm inside of us to reach out and to go beyond our walls, beyond our homes, and beyond our cities and to reach the world. We thank you for it. We bless you for it in the name of Jesus. If you want to be a blessing to Brother Chuck, Miss Mary Nell, if you want to give a gift, if you want to sow, because how they make their living and what they do is they are supported by those that give. So I'm gonna, we're going to designate the box back there. If you want to give to them, you give. You be a blessing to them. We're going to give to them. We continue to give to them. And you and I together take part in that. Amen? So I declare you blessed. I declare you favored. And I just release you. Go and be a blessing out there. In Jesus' name, we'll see you Wednesday night.